Once more with podcast. Hello. Hello. This is once more with podcast. It is. And how is everyone on this fine morn slash afternoon slash evening wherever you are? <laughs> Maybe night. Who knows? People listen at night. I'm sure. We've had a very interesting month on the board. Um, I'm Athena, by the way. Sorry, I always forget to introduce myself. <laughs> I keep thinking everyone must know who she is by now. So hi. And I'm the voice in Athena's head. Yeah, the one, the one that's been telling me all the crazy things to do. I'm not listening. Uh, <laughs> also known as Talkie. Yes. And um, and this is Once More with Podcast. And, yeah, we've had a very interesting month on the boards. We wanted to just quickly mention something that happened a few weeks ago. We had the ninth annual Buffy Board Buffies Awards. And yeah, we're not going to go into it in too much detail because we had threads about red carpets, we had a thread on the awards itself, we had after parties, we had everything going on. It was was just a full-on evening of just sort of general fun and frivolity. It was a big old party and I I bought lots of souls. A little bit of stress, (laughs) (laughs) but... You know, we we had a great night, and we had so many people actually winning awards and being there on the night and giving little acceptance speeches. It was great. Yeah, for you for your chance to win next year, join Buffyboards.com. Absolutely, and you know you can log on and you can see the awards thread itself, all of the awards that were handed out, who won them. Congratulations to all of the lucky winners. All sorts of great people won some really cool awards, and it was just really nice for everyone to get together and just really revel in the spirit of, of Buffy boards. And yeah. it was a good for night. And it was my first one. Um, it was your first one, and let's not forget that you got your very own award, an Athena Award. Oh, I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, I bloody will. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was definitely something that I was not expecting, and I was very, very speechless. And I, I basically yeah, and went. We all, all... Thought, we all thought you'd been kidnapped or something because it got like radio silence. Yeah, <laughs> I went. I, I went a bit Gwyneth Paltrow and started crying, and you know, thanking everyone that I could think of. You know, she has an award. <laughs> yeah, like like does she have an Oscar or something? Yeah, she won an Oscar for I think it was the Shakespeare in Love. Oh, oh, okay. She she basically accepted the award and was very emotional. And it's on the internet. It's quite funny. Um, but yeah, that was basically me. <laughs> it's it's definitely been an interesting year because I've only been on Buffy boards for just over a year. So um, it's definitely been very interesting. It was it was something that was completely in, unexpected, and um, and I was very very grateful. I'm very emotional. <laughs> yeah, so if next year anybody wants their own personalized award, just join Buffy Boards and then do every, like, tail Athena and do everything that Athena does because it works. <laughs> Maybe grease some palms, too. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that I do a great deal. I just do what I want to do, and, and that's just kind of it. And then I basically wrote people along with my crazy ideas and I say things to them like, hey, Tarky, let's do a podcast together. And she <laughs> says, oh, do we really want to do that? And I go, yeah, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fun. You'll have plenty yeah, of time to do it, yeah. don't worry. 
And I was like, yeah, I'll see you on the first episode. <laughs> yeah, that it did kind of go from, yeah, I'll, I'll try it out with you to, so um, you're contracted now for 10 years. And um, yeah, we have to speak every month in that time and you have to do all the planning. This is what happens when I'm given free reign with my crazy, stupid ideas. We end up with... Well, it's turning out pretty great, so... <laughs> well, yeah, this this one's turning out pretty great. We'll have to see about the other crazy, crazy ideas that I've got, you know, forthcoming, but... World domination will be ours. It's not crazy, okay? <laughs> well, we're getting there, you know, I kind it of... It will happen. First, the first thing you've got to do is get your voice out there with subliminal messages in audio recordings, such as podcasts. And then kind of step it up a little bit. Then, you know, maybe we could have a TV show or something. And then with the proper TV messages, because everyone listens to, like, ads on TVs and stuff like that. And then I'm not thinking... To mention, not to mention, if you play this podcast backwards, you will be selling your soul to us. Yes. Because we did make a deal. I'm not going to tell you with who, but, you know. Well, all I can say is, is that my avatar is not permanently glory for no good reason. <laughs> She is my soul sister, and Hell Dimensions, there's a little bit of give and take, and that's all I'm going to say on the matter. <laughs> anyway, we kind of, that was a kind of a weird tangent, but um, <laughs> we've, we've had a busy month, and we've got another busy month in the month of March, because the month of March, what's, what's happening, Taki, in the month of March? What's happening is that I'm in denial about how old I'm getting, and I'm pretending that nothing is happening in March, because there is a 20th anniversary! Woo! Oh, it's, it still freaks me out. It's like 20, 20 years. Year. You know how long that is? I think that's 20 years. <laughs> yeah. That's two decades. Yeah. So, we are not spring chickens anymore. I, yeah, it's... It's crazy. Well, it is um, completely crazy because, you know, I I don't know, in a sense, you know, if I watch, like, Welcome to the Hellmouth or something of Buffy, I can still feel what I felt when I first watched it, which was in the 90s. Mm. Uh, and it just feels so bizarre that the show is 20 years old. Yeah. It is really, really odd. And I think the weirdest part is, and admittedly, we are both in our 30s. We're not going to give exact ages out, but we are both in our 30s. And I don't feel it. I don't feel like I'm in my 30s. I certainly don't feel like I'm old enough to have been watching a show 20 years ago. No, exactly. (laughs) I still feel like the 90s, 10 years ago. I know. My cousin was, like, born in 97, and I still think of her as seven years old. (laughs) She's not. It's like she's, you know, she's 20. And it's like, no, that blows my mind. But like we are... The Buffy show is almost of legal drinking age in the US. Yeah. Well, in the UK, she was of legal drinking age two years ago. Yeah, same here. 20 is the uh, age when you are allowed to buy liquor at the liquor store in Sweden. So Buffy the show can almost buy liquor at the store here. You can buy it at the pub when you're 18, but not at the store. <laughs> well, okay, that's not weird. But, no, um, not at all. So, yeah, on the 10th of March is the actual date of the original airing of Welcome to the Hellmouth. Yeah, um, we're going to... On the 10th of March, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, can come to Sweden and buy liquor from a store. Yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's always we're going to do uh, lots of fun stuff on the boards which are not liquor related. Yeah. <laughs> 
that because you know liquor's not incredibly family friendly is it i mean i suppose you could say that the actual liquor as a drink is but what people tend to do when they're on the liquor uh is not i mean buffy has her answer for that beer bad (laughs) beer bad indeed so next month's podcast we've actually just put a thread up on the boards about what we're planning to do but we're planning it around the theme of what Buffy means to me and we're going to try and get as many people on the boards involved as possible to either submit kind of a written anecdote or like an audio submission for what the actual show means to them what they're taken from it how has it influenced their life has it got you out of a sticky situation has it taught you a lesson um that sort of thing so we're hoping to need you feel any vampires you know as we know (laughs) vampires are real and uh, they are around i've been accused of being one by yourself on many occasions (laughs) i was like by who oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i'm pretty sure when i joined the boards february of last year let's not forget it's not that long ago i'm pretty sure the first thing you said to me was something along the lines of accusing (laughs) me of being a vampire for some reason that's Uh, fake news any recollection of this uh total fabrication <laughs> I'm just imagining you, like, with your hands out to the side, going, "It's just fake news." Uh, <laughs> hand gestures. Um, <laughs> so that completely came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting you to say it was fake news. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> we've got a, a, a thread on the boards at the moment. Um, and people can get all of the information that they need from there to how to submit your written anecdotes or send us a little audio file. Uh, we've actually had a submission already. Yay! Um, and it's only and also, been for like uh, a day. So. If, you, if you don't want to make a recording, like just write something and then we can read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not everyone wants and, to. And if you have any demands that you want us to read it in like a particular accent, <laughs> we will definitely do that. Well, you'll definitely do that, because have you heard my accent? That American accent that I did for the stage play that one time was just... That was great. It was I just want to hear you speak like Kendra. (laughs) Oh, God. Even Kendra can't speak like Kendra. (laughs) Fair point. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like I'd literally be offending the whole nation of Jamaica. Um, I really, really don't want to be held responsible for offending the whole nation of Jamaica. So I'll just leave that with Bianca Lawson, who played Kendra, because there, that was pretty horrific. Tati could do all the accents. I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll give it a go, but I can't guarantee that I can do anything other than, you know, maybe some Australian, you know, as long as you mention throwing shrimps on Barbies. Um, that's probably my <laughs> level of, of accent. But yeah, so basically read the thread, get your submissions in. We've kind of gone off on a tangent. This happens a lot when we speak. And yeah, hopefully next month's podcast will be a lot of fun and really interesting and just bringing people together. That's why the boards were created in the first place, was to yeah, bring and all the fans together. And we really want to hear what, you know, what does make Buffy special to you. Yeah. Why are we still talking about this show 20 years later? It's it's interesting it's crazy but also interesting (laughs) 
but anyway, we need to we need to go back to why we're here right now. Um, yeah. Because we promised you a podcast episode on Dollhouse. Yeah. And uh, we promised it in the sense that you basically said that if it didn't happen, it would be my fault, and it would have been my fault. So I was like, yeah, let's just do this. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't want it to be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to you, if we hadn't have gone ahead with Dollhouse, I would have spun it to kind of say it wasn't entirely your fault because I'm not completely mean. So we are actually finally doing an episode on Dollhouse. We've had a bit of difficulty actually kind of trying to pin down exactly what we want to talk about. Yeah, the thing is, we talk a lot, so at first we were kind of like, well, let's just talk about Dollhouse, but we realized that would turn into a six-hour podcast, (laughs) Uh, probably eight, including tangents, Yep. Uh, so we decided to kind of focus on characters and not like the show as a whole. Yeah, because it's going to be really difficult. We're talking about a show that is very complex with its themes and its style of of storytelling changes from first part of season one to the latter part of season one into season two. Um, There's a lot to talk about there, and I don't think we can fully cover everything in an hour and a half, maybe two hours, hopefully more of an hour and a half kind of (laughs) podcast. Um, Should we kind of sum up the show, what it's about? They're basically about (laughs) a young woman uh, who is employed by a company maybe you want to say called dollhouse uh and there is this imprinting technology which allows them to take your personality out of you and imprint you with new personalities so one could say that it's basically high level prostitution because people hire you to do whatever they want you to do and and it's normally I mean, a a lot of it is sexual. The show does show that there are other kinds of engagements, as they call them. Yep. But uh, they also make a very, you know, compelling case for the fact that these dolls are, they are real people. You are creating a person. Uh, So if you want somebody to be in love with you, you're not getting somebody who plays in love with you. You're getting somebody who's in love with you. And uh, obviously there are some kind of sincerely sinister (laughs) undertones, or should we say overtones, Mm. to the fact that they are, you know, removing people's personalities and making them new people. And then at the end of the day, they are turned into a blank slate, which they call the doll state, where they're infant-like children. They're basically host bodies. You've got a, a host body, and you can put whatever personality you want into that body and then that body can be used for whatever task a person who is basically willing to pay money for that person to complete that task. Um, And this is all kind of underground, like it's not out in the open, but the show does have an FBI agent on their tail because, uh, again, it's, Clearly, from the start of the show, it's a very moral gray area, and they don't really hide the fact that this is this is a pretty sinister operation. Yeah. Because you don't really know how the people, you know, they say that people volunteer to be dolls, but, you know, from the start, you can kind of see that, well, probably not everybody. <laughs> no. I mean, certainly the characters that we see, the main doll characters that we see, They've all got a story behind them, and most of the time, they were either coerced into doing it, 
or there was a particular reason for them to... Which makes sense, because, you know, they're signing away five years of their lives, and they have no idea what they're doing during these five years, but the reason they sign up for it, what we're initially led to believe is that they are very well compensated at the end of five years. Uh, So basically, you become financially independent after five years, which might seem like a lucrative deal to some, but probably not to most. Yeah. You can kind of understand, by looking at the themes of the show, why it only lasted for two seasons. Because although you could argue that it would have been great to see more of the story, especially when you get into season two and what happened, it must have been very difficult for a TV network to approve the content of the show based on what actually happens to these people. Essentially, the vast majority of the dolls are sex slaves. Yeah, and I mean, they very, do... Uh... very questionable morality... Yeah, and you feel like they they kind of dance around it a little bit because, you know, obviously they don't show you any graphic sex scenes or anything. But obviously the show is partly about, well, particularly the one young woman we follow, follow, Caroline, or as her doll name is Echo, and she starts evolving and starts remembering uh, all these things they're making her do, uh, all these personalities. And, like, even other dolls show that they do retain some kind of memory. Yeah. So, you know, it is problematic because, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. is sex slavery in a way. Yeah, it is, it is very problematic. But there are some things that the show does really well. And we didn't want to talk about the show and just talk about the negatives of the show because we didn't want to look like we were doing a podcast on Dollhouse and basically saying, oh, Dollhouse is terrible, Dollhouse has questionable morals and, you know, it has no ethics. Really not. I, I think they do it really well, you know, like they bring these kind of important questions to light. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, they're doing it from inside of the belly of the beast, so to speak, you know. Yeah. Um, but I have to say that uh, when we did the rewatch on the boards, we watched one episode a week, yes. and it was the first time I had ever done that with Dollhouse. And I really struggled with the show because I didn't really like it, and it surprised me because I have watched Dollhouse probably four times by now and really loved the show. And I was like, yeah, this one episode a week really doesn't work for me. And then yesterday I watched, like, five episodes in a row, and I loved it. So I really feel like for me, I have to, this is a show I have to binge watch, and when I binge watch it, it's great, but when I watch it week, one episode a week, I I don't really care enough about any of the characters to feel compelled to continue. Yeah, I was finding that as well, because obviously I decided that, you know, the board should do this Dollhouse rewatch. I'd never seen the show before, and I was really interested in the concept of it, and I didn't really know much about it before I watched it. And I thought, well, if we do an episode a week, people can watch at their leisure. They've got a whole week to watch the episode, and then, you you know, there's going to be a discussion about the episode on the boards, and then the next week, you know, you do the same. And I planned out, oh, you know, we're going to do one episode a week up until Christmas. And I really, really struggled with the whole one episode a week theory, purely because, like you say, you watch an episode and then you you can't 
then watch another one. You've then got a kind of a week to kind of sit on the episode's contents and maybe stew on it a little bit. And towards the end of the the show, so the end of the sort of final weeks, I was actually really struggling to fit an episode in a week, which is ridiculous because I know that I've got the time to watch a serialised TV show because I'm doing so at the moment with Gilmore Girls <laughs> and I'm watching multiple episodes of Gilmore Girls every day or every other day or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so I know I've got the time to do it, but I think because with something like Gilmore Girls, I'm not being restricted to you can only watch an episode a week. I know that I can watch as many as I can fit in. Whereas with this, I was kind of getting to a point where I kind of I was really struggling to actually, like you say, to actually like any of the characters or the story because it, there was such a gap in between the viewings, and I was just really struggling to actually build up the the want to actually want to watch the next episode so I started to get later and later with watching the episodes and you know started was, to get a little bit really, uh, it was really interesting for me because since I've only binge watched it before and I really love it uh I've always been like oh my god why did they cancel this show I can't believe they cancel this show and I always kind of like yeah I kind of get it uh and I'm not saying that the show is bad it's not bad I think it's a good show but I think it's a binge watch show you need to binge watch this show and if you were uh would ever watch it again I would definitely recommend to just binge watch the heck out of it and I think you will enjoy it a lot more I certainly think that a lot of the episodes would benefit from a binge watch, especially, you know, the episodes, sort of season two episodes that are linked to each other. It's it's a different kind of format in season, the early part of season one to season two. You kind of go from a Buffy monster of the week style in sort of the early part of season one where Echo does different things with different people every week to a more kind of serialised show sort of going into season two where there's a, a long story with a conversation at the end. Um, and season two, I think, was definitely more interesting. Um, yeah, it's more about the conspiracy, like yeah. what the dollhouse really about. Yeah, but there, a lot of episodes ended on cliffhangers. So I think you need that binge watchability to kind of say, oh, yeah, I'll watch the next one straight away, and then I'll watch the next one, and then I'll watch the next one. So I understand that for that season in particular, that would work really well. But okay, so we were going to talk about characters, yes. and this is a good point to bring in Echo. Echo is obviously the lead. She's played by Eliza Dushku, and she's very, very pretty and has perfect hair. Like, she's, I really want her hair. Uh, <laughs> she's so beautiful. I just have to say, as leading ladies go, she is just so stunning to look at. She just, really is. Just generally, and they really know how to put a beautiful girl kind of in the centre of, of everything and I mean they dress her in very skimpy clothes um, you know she's got a great figure anyway but she just looks so beautiful in pretty much every scene I don't think there's a scene where she looks bad at all. Yeah I know she looks really stunning in this entire series and but obviously, and I mean, I think that that comes through a lot more when you binge watch the show, that they kind of, pretty much from the first episode, it starts subtly showing that Echo is evolving, that she is retaining some kind of memory, that she is becoming more of a person in her own right, that she's not just a blank slate. But when you're watching the episodes week by week, 
it's too little, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're binge-watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is great progress. Like, oh, yeah, I can see you're evolving. But, yeah, week by week, you're just like, well, it's kind of blink if you blink and you miss it moments. Yeah, I mean, as far as the character of Echo, I think that the fact that she's self-aware in her own right, you know, Echo, as Echo is supposed to just be this kind of blank slate of a doll, Echo is not supposed to be anyone. Like you said earlier, she's supposed to be just like childlike, as a blank slate doll would be. But Echo in her own right is a character and she's self-aware and she kind of gradually builds up the knowledge that she needs to eventually take this organisation, the the, uh, Rossum Corporation, down. And then I like that she is self-aware and I like that you've got all of these sort of multiple personalities linked with Echo, but that are also separate to Echo that she can tap into at any time. Yeah, I really, the thing is, I really like Echo. Uh, My one problem with the character is really Caroline, which is her original personality. And in a sense, I get it. I feel like maybe they made Caroline kind of unlikable because they want us to root for Echo. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that Echo keeps going on and on about wanting to, you know, become Caroline again. So, you know, that is Echo's mission at the start. You know, like at the end of season one, she's about getting Caroline back inside her own body. At the end of season two, she's all like, oh, it's time to win Caroline's war. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about Caroline, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think we we had a couple of flashbacks where we we're supposed to, like, root for Caroline and... I think, to a certain extent, you know, Caroline looks like the sort of person who she fights for what she believes in. She finds out Rossum are experimenting. I had in my notes that they were experimenting on babies, but I can't remember if that's actually accurate or yeah, not. they have, like, babies up on a screen or something when yeah. she's there with her boyfriend when he gets shot. Um, so I think they are experimenting on babies. Uh, not like they, I don't think they kept like babies in a jar or something, but probably, you know, like genetic testing yeah. or something. Yeah, but there was definitely something really unscrupulous going on, and she obviously wants to expose them, uh, and it does take a strong person with a strong moral compass to, to, to take that on. So I think the show is trying to kind of say, you know, yeah, what we see of Caroline, she doesn't seem to be the nicest person in the world, but she believes that this is wrong and she wants to fight them and she she basically does what she can to well, I mean, them. For me, the problem is that Caroline is so abstract. It's like the only reason we really have to root for Caroline is that Paul is obsessed with her, saving her. But it's like, as he's looking for Caroline, I mean, I personally feel like it would have helped the show if he maybe would have met her parents or you know like when you see her in flashbacks you get to see her and her boyfriend with their friends i'm like where are her friends why is nobody missing caroline yeah like she goes to a college and a professor recognizes her so she's obviously in the same town where she went to college uh and i'm like fine la is big but that she would just never meet anybody she's ever met before that nobody's looking for her it it just seems really fundamentally weird to me that yeah. she has, like, zero connections to the outside world except for this one FBI agent who becomes obsessed with her after watching a video of her where she actually says, she starts the video by saying, hi, mom. So clearly she has parents. Yeah. 
Oh, I just think that if you're going to introduce a character like Caroline and you're going to suggest that this FBI agent is so desperate to find her and save her from this organisation, we need some sort of familial link to her. We need someone to report her missing or someone to, you know, even if someone, if we'd seen him interview someone in the FBI who was a friend of hers or a family member or something... Exactly. To say, you know, this is this girl. She's desperately missed by her family. You know, we don't see any of that. All we see is Paul Ballard just completely being obsessed with her for no good reason, apart from the fact she's really pretty. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I get it. She is really pretty, but it's it's just kind of weird that he quickly becomes that obsessed, and we don't really get a reason why uh, he cares so much about Caroline. Except that, oh, he thinks that she's trapped, but at this point he doesn't really quite know anything, so it just comes across as a little bit weird, and I wish that, I feel like if they had humanized Caroline a bit more, like maybe we would have cared more about Echo, because we would have cared more about Echo's cause. And we would have wanted Echo and Caroline to become fused again, but as it is, you're just kind of like, Caroline is so abstract that... You're just like, yeah, you're, you basically just see her as an idealist and, like, not as a person. She's not no more of a person than Echo, really. Yeah. She's obviously captured when she, she tries to infiltrate Rossum HQ. And she's essentially forced to become a doll. She isn't really given a choice. It's basically you either join us for five years and... And then we'll release you. Don't you kind of wonder if they would ever have released her? I mean, if she's like a self-proclaimed terrorist, uh, why would they ever want to release her? Well, they they do kind of tap on that a little bit later on, don't they? When Victor's released, he ends up sort of being reassigned to like this um, Rossum military task force yeah, kind true. of thing. And I also realized that because of the Boyd thing, of course, they were, they were never going to release her. What a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> but it just starts to get really uncomfortable for me when they have this girl in their custody. She's broken and entered into their property. She's vandalized, you know, all of that. They could have just handed her over to the police. But instead, they basically say to her, look, we'll do you a deal. You come and work for us. We'll wipe your memories and your existence and you'll essentially become a slave for five years. And I don't really think she has much of a choice in the matter. No. Which, whatever you think of Caroline up to that point, she's basically put in an impossible position. But you really struggle to kind of have any sympathy for her. You do, because you don't don't actually like her or know her or she's just a girl who's been put in this situation of her own accord and yeah and i mean again and it's like uh when it's the episode when uh, she goes to the college where she went and um <clears throat> there's that guy who has poisoned his friends and at the end of the episode you see that adele is having the same conversation with him like recruiting him to be at all yeah and she leans on him by saying that you know like You know, she uses his family against him, basically saying that, you know, we'll protect your family or basically, like, basically do this or, you know, your family will be in trouble. But with Caroline, it's like she later agrees that she, like, voluntarily 
sign the contracts. And I feel like maybe we would have felt more about Caroline if we would have seen her more like Priya if she had actually been like forced to become a doll. Yeah. Because now it feels like they just reason her into it. Mm. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it is hard to feel for Caroline, which drags down Echo a little bit because, yeah, since Echo keeps going on about, you know, wanting to become Caroline again, I'm like, I don't want you to become Caroline again. <laughs> Well, yeah, because at that point, Echo, Echo is her own person, and Echo is actually a much more well-rounded, well-developed character than Caroline ever was. Yeah. So it's kind of like, why would you want to go back to being Caroline? But... I do say that it's kind of like it's something they don't necessarily address super much, but it's it's like the worst thing to imagine that you would agree to this and you would have your personality removed from your body. And then you would come, because at the end of the or, or season two, obviously, spoilers. Uh, maybe we should have said that at the start. Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, obviously, Caroline is imprinted again, and but but now Echo is dominant. And I mean, how much of a nightmare is that? That you know you can't get back into your body, but you're just one of the people in your body now. So you know, Caroline can never ever ever be Caroline again. And she can never be in the driver's seat completely again. She is just Echo's other personality. Just one of the many personalities that she has within her. Who Michael can control, you know, when isn't that kind of like just a horrible nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, it's very hard to imagine having your own body being filled with multiple independent (laughs) personalities. If you think of, like, your personality that you have, but having, like, 25 other personalities, <laughs> it's very difficult to relate to that. Yeah, um, I feel like I would be way more alpha than Echo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm a bit scared. Uh, right, so uh, it's uh, time to wrap up the podcast now. Uh, we're never going to speak again. Um, <laughs> I know where you live now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to ring my real estate agent and uh, get that sorted. Um, yeah, so I think we can establish that Caroline is a very difficult character to relate to, just generally. Um, yeah, and I just wish that they would have made her more human, because at the end of the day, I do feel like if we cared about Caroline, we would have cared more about Echo. I mean... Because it's, it's a little bit, you know, like, it's, yeah, I don't know. It could be, and I know this is the, when when you think about Dollhouse and you think about how the show was sort of cancelled midway when they were filming season two, and that basically changed their whole plan of how season two would culminate, and they ended up kind of rushing towards their original idea of, of the end of Dollhouse, which probably originally would have been, you know, maybe four or five seasons. Perhaps you could argue that had they gone down that original four or five season route, maybe we would have learned a bit more about Caroline. Maybe we would have empathised a bit more with Caroline. Yeah, um, I guess that's true. But I do feel like it doesn't really apologise for like Paul's obsession and stuff. Like I feel like they could have done a lot more just basic stuff. Again, like having him talk to her parents or something. Just to make her seem like she's a human being. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stop beating this 
dead horse. <laughs> yeah, but I did really like her. Um, like to be clear, like that's one of the good things about the show. Like to see Echo evolve, and especially like at the end of season one when she kind of faces off with Alpha. Um, I think it's really nice to see that obviously she can deal with having multiple imprints in a way that, for example, he cannot. Yeah. Um. Um, just the one final thing I wanted to sort of mention about Echo as a character was obviously the show is very focused on Echo and pretty much every episode is focused on her. There are some that are focused on other characters primarily, but there's quite a few episodes where Echo is shown just kind of randomly and I kind of feel a little bit like with Eliza being a producer she must have had it in her contract to say that she'll be in every episode even if it's just for a little bit I kind of feel that sometimes some of the episodes especially episodes focused on other dolls like Sierra or Victor having her in the episode is very jarring because she's why is she there she's just randomly it's kind of um, like one of my favorite episodes is the Sierra episode where you find out her horrible backstory Uh, and it just feels like whenever, like, it, it feels like Echo is very shoehorned into that episode. Like, they're like, oh, we just have to have her in there. Uh, never mind, just fast forward this and get, get back to the real plot, you yeah. know. It, 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 and I think that sometimes, if you're going to have an episode about another character, you don't necessarily have to have your lead actress in that episode if it's not necessary. I mean, I appreciate if you were talking about a show like Buffy, she's but in I mean, the title. It's her show. It's about her and about her. But I mean, player. even even the Buffy's dollhouse is about the dollhouse. Even Buffy spent one episode as a rat, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't quite think they had magic in um, LA at the, at the time of Dollhouse, but um, but yeah, I I just kind of felt that found that very jarring. And if she wasn't valid to the plot of that episode, such as the the one with Sierra, which is a harrowing episode. And it's a great episode because it tells you so much about, you know, her life before coming to the dollhouse. But it just felt like she was contractually obliged to be in each episode. So they just kind of plonked Echo in, in a random scene. And it just took away from the importance of other characters. Um, And it wasn't wasn't necessary for me. Not really, no. Shame, though, when you watch... um uh, those kind of episodes with other dolls too that you feel like there was enough for there to be at least a third season like yeah. if they would have had the chance um, there was a lot of interesting stuff to explore here because obviously we know how Caroline got there but it's you know you kind of want to find out how they all got there yeah. like why are you dolls <laughs> yeah I think we should maybe move on from Echo and Caroline because I don't really think Absolutely. there's much else we can we can say um, perhaps we should talk about Topher. I'm just going to do a little shout out because we were talking about the Sierra episode and the guy who, well, let's face it, victimizes her, Nolan, is super creepy, super yeah. horrible. But I have to shout out to that actor because he is terrific at being that creepy ass character. He is it's- just disgusting. Yeah, his name is Vincent Ventresca. You may recognize him. He's from uh, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. No way! Yeah, he's like like the guy that Romy has like a super crush on, you know, who's like... (gasps) uh... Oh, yeah! Yeah. Oh, I've just made the connection. (laughs) 
And I mean, I just think he's terrific in this role as Nolan. Like, he is so creepy and disturbing, and I just completely buy it. <laughs> he's, he literally made my skin crawl. Like, yeah, I was like, so uncomfortable watching that episode. Like, I just wanted to shower after I watched it. It was, it was I agreed, and I felt like uh, he deserved a shout-out for that, because I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming that he is not that creepy in real life, and that that is acting. Well, I assume not, because I don't think you would get many acting gigs if you were that genuinely disgusting <laughs> and creepy in real life. But obviously he's a very talented actor, because he genuinely gave me the creepy horrible feels that sort of person would give someone um so yeah he's obviously very talented but yeah i completely didn't make the connection with romy and michelle but that is a great movie it's a guilty pleasure of mine definitely oh, same here i love it <laughs> let's, let's talk about tofa because we we both yeah. wanted to talk about tofa Yes, because um, I wanted to know, because the thing is, I love Topher. From the second he steps on the screen, I'm pretty much just like, Topher is my favorite. And you did not like Topher from the start. No, I really didn't. He annoyed me. He wound me up. I really struggled to connect with Topher in, in sort of uh, early part of season one. His lack of empathy and any sort of morals about what he was doing and the thing is I think because he he had that very erratic kind of the sort of personality you would expect a, a television nerd to have <laughs> uh, very isolated from people very into his job and obviously good at his job because he invents all of this technology and he's obviously very good at what he does he has a lot of trust placed in him from other characters like Adele. But I really, I just really struggled with the fact that he was knowingly putting these personalities into the dolls and then basically sending them out on these random <laughs> missions, which on the most part involved them having sex with strangers. And I, it's difficult to hold Topher responsible because he's not. He's basically just... He's doing what he's been told to do. But I just really struggled to connect with him in any way. And the only time for me when I started to actually turn was kind of in season two. I think it was the Sierra episode. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense. Where obviously, he, he learns a very hard lesson. <laughs> well, he, he knows who he's sending her to. And I appreciate that he does it slightly differently where he actually imprints Priya rather than Sierra so that Priya can actually take revenge on the guy who originally assaulted her. But I just feel like it was very much, it was his job to do these things so he kind of did it without question. And I found that very uncomfortable in season one. I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read something okay. uh, about Topher. Okay. It is not my thoughts. It is from the uh, Inside Joss's Dollhouse, uh, which is an anthology with essays from fans about Dollhouse. 
they have them for like Buffy and Angel too, but then it's like official authors and scholars who have written them. Uh, here it's the fans who have written them, and they are really great essays. So this is a disclaimer that this is not from us, and that you should probably go out and buy this book if you think this is interesting. Uh, this will be a little portion from an essay called We're Not Men by Lillian de Ritter, and she talks about masculinity in the dollhouse and connects it with, like, masculinity and Buffy and stuff like that. Um, and I'm just going to read the Topher part. It is long-ish, so if you have any comments, feel free to, like, break in. But I think it's uh, a very well-put perspective on Topher. Okay? Okay. Are you ready? I am. Woohoo! <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, the, the portion is called The Emasculated Mad Scientist, uh, and it goes, Topher's transformation from genius little boy playing with his toys to tortured philosopher-scientist was one of the most powerful journeys in Dollhouse. In season one, Topher's excited and bemused reactions to the various crises at the Dollhouse caused Adele to accuse him of having no morality. But Topher did have a kind of moral certainty a certainty that science should not be held back by people who don't understand it. This is a great example of masculine decisiveness to a fault. When Topher's world became less sure, he collapsed under it. When Whiskey, Dr. Saunders, killed Bennett, Topher found it impossible to reason within his former framework of everyone being programmed, even though it partially made sense that she would destroy Bennett within Topher's programming because she wanted Topher to suffer a part of the imprint that Topher himself had put there. Reality refused to compute. Either Topher was a god, his programming flawless, which meant Bennett's death was his fault, or he wasn't man enough to stop Claire, which meant it was still his fault, and he was emasculated to boot. Either way, he could not operate, knowing that his actions had direct consequences that he had not intended or foreseen. Topher's crisis of guilt was ratcheted up when he sent Priya to see Nolan, and then again when he realized that it was his technology that would cause the apocalypse. He didn't develop morality, per se, but instead came to a new understanding of cause and effect. If everyone is programmed, and you are the programmer, you're responsible for what they do. It should be noted that though Topher came to this conclusion by the events of Epitaph 1, he had lost all certainty while trying to reason his way out of culpability. He constantly muttered questions to himself. If I think I can figure things out, is that curiosity or arrogance? And tried to reassure himself with, I know what I know. Topher had lost his decisiveness, the kind of decisiveness and trust that in the innate goodness of science that allowed Victor Frankenstein to believe that he had right and duty to conquer death. Topher went from Frankenstein to Faust in terms of his surrounding production design, from a lab filled with monitors to a cocoon of books with scraps of writings on the walls. In fact, Faust is an apt comparison in that Topher made a deal with the devil, believing he could foresee and control any negative consequences that emerged. The dolls shouldn't have had any feelings that Topher didn't put there, but they did. The Rossum executives should have allowed Topher to decide what his technology would be used for, but they didn't. Topher's own certainty, his inability to adapt to being wrong, 
wants to attract him, eventually reduce, reducing him to a pathetic shell of his former self. His certainty vanished when he couldn't bear the reality he was certain of. The point where, the point where his certainty, his curiosity or arrogance, had cost the lives and minds of millions of people, starting with the woman he loved. As Topher told Boyd, quoting from Hamlet, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. The end. <laughs> Just listening to that, in preparation for the podcast, I wrote, I thought about Topher, and I didn't put it quite as eloquently as that, I have to admit. But my thoughts on Topher are very similar to that, in that I... I'm just, just sort of reading from my not-so-eloquent notes. Um, I mentioned in my notes about when Topher actually started to grow on me. And I went and I found the episode, and it was season one, episode ten. And it was where, it was his birthday. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, that one got me too, when he makes he, a friend. He makes a friend. And it just kind of makes you realise that he is so dedicated to what he does. He genuinely believes in what he does, that he's he's isolated. He has nothing in the outside world. Literally, the dollhouse is his life. That kind of started to give me some perspective on how he could be so lacking in the, the sort of social skills, you know, like empathy, because he he sees what he does as his and... The, the dolls are his work, and you just mentioned in what you just said, he takes pride in what he does, and he genuinely believes that he's the best, and he produces the best. Yeah, and he's know? so focused, like, on the science of it, because obviously by the by season two, he creates that, like, remote bike thing, yeah. and, you know, like, obviously he shows it to Adele, because... He was just playing around, and he figures it out. So, you know, he doesn't really think that, oh, people will use these. He's like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. So he's very much in his own bubble. It's uh, almost uh, like he's a child with his mother saying, he, look at me what I made. Yeah, it's partly what I um, I really love about his character is that as the shows progress, or as the, you know, like his relationship to Adele is... Uh, part of what makes his character uh, really like special to me, I think, because I think they have a kind of loving relationship uh, in a weird way. I mean, it yeah. obviously grows, and by the end of the series, they obviously have a very maternal son kind of bond. Yeah. Uh, but I was, yeah, like I was watching the episodes that it took me two months to watch yesterday, and it's like when they bring Bennett there as a hostage, and <laughs> basically Adele is threatening her to, like, do what we say, or we will, you know, things will not be so nice for you. And then Topher standing behind Bennett doing, like, oh, my God, be nice to her, and gestures because he likes her. And Adele just kind of goes, like, sighs, and then she's like, can I get you anything? But, you know, she modifies herself because she's like, oh, he likes this girl. And I don't know, they have a they have an interesting relationship. Yeah. Which is why it's also heartbreaking when she takes those plants and uses them against him. Yeah. Um, Where Topher is concerned, I did a complete 180 on my thoughts of Topher. I went from really, really not liking him at all in season one to absolutely adoring him in season two. 
And I can't think of any other show that that's where that's happened. Yeah, I mean, that kind of speaks to the kind of, I mean, like I told you when we were talking about this before, I was like, it's kind of interesting because in a sense, his character is the character that grows the most. Yeah. Because he's like, he's a completely different character at the end of the show, and he has a rather compelling journey, but it's kind of constantly plot. It's never like, you know, he's never really the center of things. Yeah. Uh, And still, he's kind of the character who grows the absolute most on the show. Yeah. And I think the thing that I kind of loved the most about him was how sort of genuinely and sincerely he felt the guilt for being so smart and for creating the remote white technology, especially when he realised what that could do in the wrong hand. And that he, throughout the show, he talks about how smart he is and about, you know, his intelligence being his crowning glory and... And he's literally the most dangerous person. Almost. Because, <laughs> it's well, one okay, more almost. dangerous person, but uh, <laughs> which I now when we're talking about Topher, because, yeah, like I watched those episodes, like the last episodes of season two yesterday, and so they're obviously fresh on my mind. And it's like when they break into Boston headquarters, or they're wandering around there anyway, and um, Topher and Boyd are in the manufacturing room. And Topher is obviously putting together the remote bike, which wasn't working. And as he fixes it, Boyd goes like, oh, you know, like 20 scientists couldn't figure this out in like weeks. And it took you 10 minutes. And then he kind of places his hand on his shoulder and goes like, I'm glad I picked you. And Topher is like, you know, he's such in his little bubble and he just completely, he's like, pick me for what? And he's, like, so innocent uh, that he just can't, like, it just, he has no, like, real emotional IQ. Like, no, like he, he is almost like a child. Yeah, like, he can't really read people. <laughs> yeah. But, again, I think that kind of goes back to the lack of any sort of social skills. Yeah. He's obviously the sort of guy who is so focused on technology and creating and building and, you know, you can just imagine him growing up, not really having very many friends, sitting in his room all day on his computer, that sort of character where he doesn't really interact with anyone. He doesn't understand or get kind of the small little details of how someone speaks or how someone acts. Yeah, because he, he also doesn't seem to have a life outside of the dollhouse. He clearly sleeps, you know, like behind his little lab. Uh, and I imagine he's paid quite well, but it seems like he just has no social skills and no real desire to be around people in general. I mean, obviously, I I love the the scenes with Bennett. I thought that him and Bennett were were really fantastic, and and when she dies, spoilers, uh, when she dies, that, I was genuinely very emotional, just because he was emotional. Yeah, and it's also... He didn't didn't see it coming. No one saw it coming. No, it's such a great moment, because you're like, what just happened? Yeah. And it, at first, I think you're a little bit like, what? What? There's blood. Where's the blood come from? And then um, the the sort of final scene we see of him where he essentially sacrifices himself. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There were some tears going on. And I just thought that was a very fitting end for his character. And he was kind of the, the permanent man-child sort of throughout the show. But he did kind of, he did have that evolution. He did grow during the series. He did realise his potential. And I 
think that for me, Topher is the standout character. I mean, there's a lot of characters that I love, but he is the standout character, and I do. I, I think his like the ending to him is really great because I honestly feel like there was literally nowhere to take that character. Like pretty much the only way out because he was so broken by then that you feel like letting him die was pretty much the best thing they could do for the character he had kind of come full circle um and i mean knowing what we know of him i mean i know we're in an apocalyptic future by that point but we know that he doesn't really have anyone outside of the dollhouse apart from the the characters within the dollhouse themselves so, knowing that Bennett's gone, I suppose he would genuinely believe that he didn't really have anything left in the world anyway, which is really sad. It is, he doesn't but have I work feel like and... it's a bit like, because he wouldn't, you know, if he had lived, he wouldn't stop being smart. So it's a bit like him dying is kind of the only way to protect the world in a sense too because yeah. it's like how long would it take him to invent something else and I'm not saying that whatever he did he was doomed to cause the apocalypse I'm just saying that you know he wouldn't stop being him yeah. um, so it just feels like what kind of life would he have after that you know well I suppose it's like you could have things I'm just trying to think of the perfect analogy it's not really working <laughs> um, okay okay here's, here's what I'm thinking so you could have a car you know, it can be relatively safe. Because if good people drive cars, it doesn't make cars bad. But if a bad person gets in a car, then the car automatically becomes something to fear. And I think it's it's not the best analogy, and I do apologise. <laughs> um, but it's that sort of thing. Topher would go on, and he would still create these things. He would still be thinking of what he could do to better the world. Exactly. And if that technology or that thing gets in the hand of someone who is going to use it for nefarious purposes, you can kind of understand why he wouldn't want that to happen again. Exactly. I can totally see his whole, I'm going to go out uh, in this glorious self-sacrifice because, well, it was also kind of his fault. Yeah, and that's that's the sad thing about it is, If only he hadn't been so smart and so dedicated and so desperate to impress people, they wouldn't be in that situation. And that's really sad. But it doesn't take away from Topher, his journey. And and I, I think it would have been great if the show had done the 4-5 season route to see Topher develop even more to, to the culmination at the end, because undoubtedly we would have got to that end anyway. Probably, It just yeah. would have been spread over more seasons. Yes, probably. But, yeah, Topher's great. I think the character is great. I think the actor is great. Like you say, he was never a, he was never in the A plot. He never really had a, an episode dedicated to him. But he was always in the background, and he was always doing something. And, and, he was and I'd also... <laughs> I just wanted to, to just do a quick shout-out, because... One of my favourite things in the show wasn't just Topher, but it was Victor pretending to be Topher. Yes. <laughs> because so great. that the actor just got the mannerisms down so well. It was just always fantastic. It was literally like the guy playing Topher was playing the guy playing Topher. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I love watching the best that. Stuff. And it's a great, some of the best stuff. It's great when they're talking on the phone to each other and it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> it is 
it is pretty fantastic. <laughs> I mean, those, those scenes were gold. They really were. Although Victor's Kiki is also gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing with this show, is that you don't automatically put it down as being very funny. But there are some genuinely laugh-out-loud scenes. Also, uh, Alpha, when he's pretending to be Stephen Kepler, the guy Paul uses to get into the dollhouse, I love him. Um, yeah. When the two of them are together, it's hilarious. And he's like, it's medicinal carrots! I'm, they were here when I moved in, and I'm holding them for a friend. He's just really great at that, like, stoner guy who's afraid of the rice that there's no ricers behind the stairs it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really great comedic moments yeah and it's, it's interesting because the show isn't particularly known for its you know good writing or anything like that but there are some really really good scenes and it's just a shame that the the show is known for its more kind of serious dramatic undertones than it is known for those sort of standout scenes because they are kind of the ones that you remember. Exactly. Um, like when uh, Topher tells Boy that they're a little bit bison. <laughs> 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 this is the herd. Uh, but speaking of Boyd... Boyd. Yeah. No, Boyd. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the whole twist with Boyd. Let's talk about that. Yes. Because... I knew nothing about the show, as I said. And in the past, I have been known to maybe read up on things, read spoilers for certain shows and stuff like that, because I, I sometimes I do it by accident. And I do remember when I was watching Dollhouse, I accidentally spoiled something from the early part of season one. Um, and I was so cross with myself, I said, I'm never going to spoil anything about Dollhouse again. I'm going to watch it with a completely blank slate. So the whole Boyd thing just completely came out of nowhere. And I was a little bit like, wait, what? Pardon? <laughs> He's a bad guy? What? And I've not been and revisited sort of the earlier episodes when we meet Boyd. But I was a big fan of Boyd because he seemed to be a really nice guy. We didn't know much about him. The show purposely kind of gives him an ambiguous kind of backstory which yeah, we don't really like, go into he's like an ex-cop is basically what they tell us yeah so we don't we don't know anything about him but the viewer does grow to trust him because echo trusts him exactly and even Topher trusts him <laughs> yeah so when you get that big reveal about him actually being the head of this organization to me it just felt like a massive kick in the teeth yeah and <laughs> And I just felt a little bit like, just thinking about, does the twist work? Well, I suppose it does, but it also doesn't, because the whole thing is so rushed. It's like, one minute he's a good guy, and then all of a sudden he's a bad guy. And Yeah, I mean, for me, the thing is, I I love this twist. I really do. Because uh, I think that it was genuinely surprising to me, and it's very rare when you watch TV that something is genuinely surprising to you. Like, if Adele had been the bad guy, I feel like people would have gone like, yeah, well, I could have seen that coming. But yeah. the fact that Boy does it, or that, that it's Boyd, like, because he has pretty much served as, like, the moral center of the show. Like, exactly, he's like the father figure. Yeah, and like in the first season, you know, he's the one who's all like, we're not men, we're, and you know, like he's, 
I don't know. He's doing. He is the moral core. Um, it's the equivalent of Giles being season five of Bussy's Big Bad. I mean, exactly. And it, I, I, it's I just you just wouldn't even think of it at all. I feel like it really works in theory. And I do love the twist, and I love the idea that he would have Clyde, and then he would double-cross Clyde, and, you know, all of that. But it, it's a little bit hard, like, when you rewatch the show and knowing it, it, it's a bit of incongruent with whom you see Boyd as. Uh, yeah. It doesn't make complete and total sense. And no, like you said, yeah, and like, and like you said, like, when it actually happens, it's so rushed. And I get it. They were out of time. They had to just do it. Um, maybe if they'd had one more season, it would have been a much more well-developed plot. Who knows? Uh, I do love the plot, or I do love the twist, but it's rushed. It's really rushed. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. I think that, like with most things you could say about Dollhouse, you do kind of get this overarching feeling of, if they'd had that, you know, that little bit more time, if they hadn't been cancelled quite so early on, then maybe all of these stories would have culminated eventually, but they would have taken their time to get there. And, and I also, I always feel like when I watch it, like, I'm like, oh, great twist. But I also feel like it feels so topsy-turvy, shall we say, that you kind of go like, you're like, what's this really the plan? I always yeah. feel like I have, like, this tiny doubt in my mind where I'm like, what's this originally planned, or was this just like that? Oh, let's just do this, because we're finished. It does feel like they've gone into a... All of the executives and the writers have gone into a meeting going, right, we've been cancelled. Right, we need to think about what we're going to do. We know we want Boyd to be the bad guy. We know we want this to happen. How are we going to get there in five or six episodes, or however many episodes they've got left? It does feel a lot like that. But it, it is still good twist because you don't see it coming yeah so it Uh, is still a good twist and i really love the idea of you know him kind of being that sinister person and you know that it kind of started out with him and his friend coming up with shit in college you know kind of like uh topher in a way Uh, but that obviously clyde was the smart one and that boyd is kind of the businessman it would have been interesting to see how that would have evolved but it also feels more like if, like it's obviously this show is so focused on ex- Echo's exceptionalism, which makes sense because it's her show. Um, but it feels, I don't know, it feels genuinely bizarre to me that she would be like the one person in because they have dollhouses all over the world, and she would be the one person they could find who had this special spinal fluid which allows her to block imprints and that he would, like, become her handler and coach. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it, it feels a little bit far-fetched when you think about it too much. I suppose you've got to just switch off any feeling of, oh, well, that couldn't be real because, you know, we are watching a sci-fi show. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that, that's kind of a given when you're watching a sci-fi show, is it? It's probably not going to be completely realistic, but <laughs> you just kind of got to go with it anyway. I think the general consensus we have on Dollhouse is, it was an interesting concept. We would have liked to have seen if it had it played out as originally planned. Exactly. Uh, but that, was, like, that was never going to happen. Because so. I also feel like, you know, like when we first started watching the show, we did talk about the fact that, you know, the first five episodes were kind of studio controlled and not Joss controlled. Uh, so it's kind of just hammering into people what dolls are and what dolls do. And you, at the end of the day, I'm like, 
it's completely redundant. Like, you don't need five episodes explaining what it all is. And thusly, the show... And you certainly don't need that episode where Echo becomes a backing dancer. Yeah, I was going to say, with the top star. <laughs> oh, that is a bad episode. So bad. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, the season one doesn't really start until, like, episode six. So you kind of feel yeah. like if they had had those first five episodes to do what they wanted, maybe things would have been better because they would have had yeah. more time, you know? And they wouldn't have to go, like, this is a doll, this is a doll, this is a doll. <laughs> Yeah, this is what dolls do. This is who they become, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because yeah. total sense that uh, instead of prostitution, we're going to have her be a bodyguard slash backup dancer singer to a pop star. Yes, makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we're assuming that most people listening to this have watched Dollhouse, because if you haven't, anyway, you've just been seriously spoiled. <laughs> Um, but if you haven't watched Dollhouse, would you recommend Dollhouse to people if they haven't seen it? I would, but I would tell them to binge watch it because I think that there are a lot of things that are really good about Dollhouse. For example, the whole concept is brilliant. Uh, the episode Man on the Street, when they talk to all the people about, you know, what Dollhouse is, I think it's super interesting, uh, especially when you have that professor who talks about how, you know, how the technology will be used and abused. And there are, are, I mean, there are fantastic characters. I mean, Echo has her flaws, certainly. Uh, Topher is great. I love Boyd. Uh, Alpha is a fascinating character. Adele is, oh, I love Adele. Um, Victor and Sierra, also compelling. Uh, Dr. Saunders. I mean, there are just many great characters. Yeah. It is full of really, really great characters. I actually made a little list of some of my favourite characters. Anyway, you've kind of mentioned quite a few of them already. I especially loved Victor and Sierra. I thought that their relationship was believable and interesting. And it's a great um, B-plot because it's kind of yeah. in most episodes that they keep being drawn to each other, which is also an interesting concept. <laughs> well, exactly, because they're supposed to be white. They're not supposed to remember. And yet they still have this link to each other that kind of goes beyond their memories. It's like a physical attraction and a physical link. And that's really, really interesting. And I I believe that relationship a million times more than I believed Echo and Ballard. Yes. Mostly because it's one-sided, obviously, because she doesn't know him for, like, one and a half season. She doesn't really know him until, you know, she's out of the dollhouse and they, like, shack up together for a couple of months. But before that, it's just all him being obsessed with her and her, like, she doesn't, she never really meets him. Like, she meets him, like, twice or something. But then she's an imprint and she hasn't evolved. I mean, it's just weird because it's yeah. very one-sided. But It's almost like a Stockholm Syndrome yeah. type <laughs> relationship that they have because he's obsessed with her and he ends up, they end up living together. But I always feel like you can tell that it's a failed romance when, you know, when he comes to get her at the end of the first season, uh, Boyd is protecting her and Boyd and Paul are fighting and then Echo, uh, like, trips Paul or something. Like, she helps Boyd and I'm like, I'm rooting for Boyd. Like, I don't want Paul to save her from the dollhouse. Yeah. Which then you're like, wait, the dollhouse are supposed to be the bad guys. I should be rooting for the FBI guy. <laughs> yeah. But you don't care about him really anyway. He he has no real 
arc on the show, other than being the FBI guy who ends up working for the dollhouse in some weird turn of events. Yeah, uh, I pretty much. I don't understand. I love Paul when he fights because obviously the actor is like some kind of. Uh, it's not MMA, but it's, it's some kind of tie fighting. Uh, and I have to say, he's great in Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I haven't seen him there, but I think that the actor is really good, and you know, uh, he's a superstar whenever he has a fight scene. But I don't buy the romance. No, I really don't. But I do buy Victor and Sierra. I think they're so sweet. I also buy Lovely. Paul and Melly. Oh, let's <laughs> talk about Melly because my love for Melly. Knows no bounds. I I remember I was watching, I went through some of my old threads in the rewatch, and pretty much everyone is, ends with, I love Melly. Melly's the best. <laughs> I love her so much. I just think she's so adorable and sweet and lovely. And I feel and like she's really underused. She is. I kind of felt that they brought her back for the for season two with the whole... Bring down the dollhouse. Bring, yeah, bring them down. Sorry, I was... Yeah, she was trying to bring them down and which I kind of felt a little bit like they're just bringing her back for the sake of it. And then she randomly kind of disappeared again. Yeah, until like the very end, last episode when Paul saves her. Uh, and, and we talked earlier about they put Echo in some great outfits. They put Melly slash November in some terrible... Seriously awful outfits. I feel like when I watch it, it's a bit like watching Tara on Buffy. I feel like if you're not a size zero, they don't know how to dress you like a person. You <laughs> automatically become a frumpy hippie. I know. She's so beautiful. Yeah. Like, I would say she is as beautiful as Eliza Dushku. She is such a stunning woman. She's really beautiful. And, and the only time we see her, like... Either she's in weird kind of frumpy clothes or she's wearing, like, some kind of weird 50s housewife. I know! She dresses like a 50s housewife! I mean, I know you've left the dollhouse, love, but put some jeans and a t-shirt on, goddammit! Yeah, and she would have looked stunning in it. Yeah, I, I don't understand how and why they chose to dress her like that. When you're talking about a show like this, a show set in L.A., Generally, with these sorts of shows, you do have a standard template for your female characters. They have to be young. They have to be attractive. They have to be skinny. I quite like that this show does kind of book the trend. You know, we do have a character like Melly. She's not a size zero. She's an an average-looking woman. She looks great. She does look great. Um, and uh, when she looks great and actually dresses like pretty much a young woman would, I would imagine, it's kind of at, like the last episode when, spoilers, she dies. Uh, yeah, but then she has like this great little dress on and like a jeans jacket, and she looks terrific. And I'm yeah. like, why didn't she dress her like this before? <laughs> Because she's Melly at that point, so uh, if Melly was the one who was all about, you know, the frumpy long skirts and whatever, then yeah. Yeah, it it just bothers me because I feel like it wouldn't bother me if it was only this show, but I feel like this is something that occurs on other shows. The second woman is a little bit larger, and by larger, I basically mean not a size zero. Yeah, basically, anything larger than a size zero is automatically seen as being, like, the frumpy, ill-dressed woman. And we we live in a society where, you know, women are all shapes and sizes. We should have women of all shapes and all sizes on our TV shows. And I really like that 
about dollhouse because there is a certain amount of representation there. We've got a character like Adele who is played by a lady in her 40s. Who's also stunning and has, yes. uh, I mean, every outfit she wears, I could never wear them, but she looks stunning throughout also. Just yeah. amazing. And she is, I love her character. She is very, an awesome character. Very stone-cold bitch, you might. (laughs) I didn't want to say the B word, but she kind of is. You said it. You know, as women, it's nice to see different women. You know, we don't all want to see skinny, blonde, California-type girls. You know, we want to see all sorts of different women represented on screen. And I did like that about Dollhouse. And I just loved Melly. But again, we didn't really know much about November, but we didn't really need to because all we cared about was Melly. Yeah. And Melly was good fun. I really liked her. I think, I missed um, her. speaking of uh, a little bit of diversity, I also like, uh, I think Alpha is a great character. But I also like that they cast, you know, maybe not the traditional leading man in that role. Like, he fit in as, you know, uh, he was a great alpha, but when he was pretending to just be a stoner, you believe him as just a stoner, and you didn't really go like, oh, well, that's obviously at all, you know. Um, I think that Alan Tudyk is the sort of actor where you always get your money's worth with him. He's always fantastic. I don't think he's ever been rubbish. No, and I mean, I think he's, I think he's an amazing actor, and I've never seen him in anything I didn't like, I don't like him in, but I feel like he wouldn't typically be cast as a doll. (laughs) Perhaps. Although when he puts on that tight t-shirt, he is ripped, so. (laughs) Yeah, well, I told you about that special dream I had about Alan Tudyk, didn't I? So, uh, me and Alan, we we go way back. I don't think Um, you did tell me about your special Alan dream. (laughs) Yeah, um, let, let's just say Not Alan and I were very close in this dream, <laughs> and um, and I remember waking up kind of thinking very impure thoughts about Alan Tudyk, <laughs> and ever since, I, if ever I see him on telly, I, I kind of feel myself blushing a little bit. Um, wow. I know, you know, we, we had a very intense dream relationship, me and Alan, and... Yeah, it was great. He was great. <laughs> so did you guys you like, hold hands really long? Yes. Yes, I, I bet. You know, um, and at the end, I let him kiss me on the cheek. Oh, that is so super hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fanning myself right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I really did like Alpha. I thought the concept of him was great. And I also really liked that he really struggled to control all of these personalities in his head and he often switched from different ones as he was losing control over them. He was pretty menacing. He was pretty a, menacing. As a bad guy. Yeah, very functionally menacing too. Because it's, you know, it's like when I watched the episodes yesterday, I watched The Love Supreme where he obviously starts killing all of the guys who are in love with Echo. And um, then he, like, fights with her, and typically in shows, when you have, like, a big fight, and then the villain just gets up and walks away, it's very frustrating. But with Alpha, I feel like he was a good character in that way, because he would totally believe that he would just walk away and regroup, because he was that type of crazy that he would just, I don't know, keep coming, but he also knew when to declare defeat, you know? 
Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think he's a great character, and I really love that at the end of it all, he was reformed. Yeah. Um, I actually have, oh, just on a final note, because we are kind of getting to the end of what we agreed that we were going to discuss, yeah. but I, I have a question, <laughs> yes. and I hope that you can answer my question. So, we establish that Dr. Claire Saunders is a doll, and we established that she was whiskey. She was the number one doll before Echo arrived. Um, and just took um, over that greedy cow. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bitches be bitches. <laughs> At the time of the show, we know that she's a woman. And it's established that the original Dr. Saunders was a man. And that Whiskey was imprinted with Dr. Saunders' personality. So, originally, Dr. Saunders was a man, but now Dr. Saunders is a woman. Mm -hmm. So, is it ever established in the show? Because I can't actually recall whether they can switch the sex of an imprint. You know, I'm going to answer that with a very unclear definition presented by the show, in that I feel like they did not fully answer this question, because in the episode where Victor is Kiki... He obviously has no idea he's a man. Like, Kiki is dancing around, moving around, and never looks down at her hands and goes like, whoa, why am I hairy? So clearly, <laughs> That is an excellent point. So clearly, Kiki has no idea she's in a man's body. However, in the same episode, Kiki's obviously switched with Echo's imprint, and Echo gets Victor's imprint, and Victor's imprint is a man named Terry, a serial killer, and Echo, as Terry, immediately realizes that she's a woman, but a man, like Terry realizes that he's in a new body and that he's a man in a woman's body. Mm-hmm. So basically, the show doesn't really answer it because it appears like Kiki and Dr. Saunders have no idea they've ever been in other sex, but Terry was self-aware and realized that he was a man in a woman's body. I didn't know if it was a, a case of Topher had some way of retrospectively changing the sex of a particular imprint because it's never really truly explored. No, it really um, Or whether it is your personality isn't shaped by your gender. But so the personalities really are essentially genderless. But that seems really weird because who you are is based on how the world sees you and obviously your gender is part of how the world communicates with you yeah but that's what i'm saying it it it, it brings up a load of questions yeah. about how the show deals with yeah I, I kind of feel like they never so, really answered that question um basically it's, 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 yeah it's an interesting one though yeah it really I mean, is but i do feel like Topher must have done some kind of you know i mean they are creating people uh and he says that he creates them out of amalgam i i don't know i mean because Obviously, she has the Dr. Saunders memories, uh, but obviously, she's a lot younger than Dr. Saunders, so they must have chopped off a good part. Uh, maybe, like, you were not raised in the 50s. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they mainly gave her Dr. Saunders' name. 
Because they were and too obviously faithful. his doctor skills. Because <laughs> maybe they were just like, oh, we don't need to learn a new doctor's name. We're all used to seeing Dr. Saunders. Let's just imprint this lady. <laughs> doctor skills. Just keep the name. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those questions that I had from the show that never got answered. And I didn't know if they were ever, you know, maybe the show was planning to answer it at some point, but probably not. And I don't know. I just found it really interesting that if they can if they can delve so deeply into an imprint to take random things out or add random things in, then essentially why do you need an imprint in the first place? Because if you if you just have the basics of a human personality and you can then add that they like cheese and take away that they like dogs or whatever, then surely the, the actual original imprint becomes null and void. Or, again, maybe I'm just thinking too much about the science, and maybe I'm yes, just not now I'm also, and... Now I'm also thinking <laughs> uh, about the little girl Iris, who we see up in the Epitaph episodes, who uh, obviously, like, uh, when we meet her, she's with, like, Sona and Mag in them, and she kills people and because she wants a body, because she's a grown woman trapped in a child's body, and when they ask her who she wants, Sona or Mag, she goes for the girl, um, because she obviously identifies as an adult woman in a child's body, so it seems like she also knows who she is or who she was. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, yeah, this got confused. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I just find I find it quite interesting, but it's one of those things we're never going to know. It's literally just speculation. I can't say I've been online and list and you know read any fan theories or anything like that. I suppose if anyone's got any specific theories that they think is, you know, I what think, the show is uh, trying to aim for, what, then, what, then let us know. What we can simply <laughs> say is the dollhouse is a really interesting exploration is what makes a personality, like what makes yeah. you you. Uh, yeah, it is. It's, it does raise a lot of questions. It doesn't answer a lot of its own questions, but it is interesting when you look at it from that point of view of what what makes us human, what makes us more than just a shell of a body. Um, it is fascinating. You could you could look into it and you could analyse it for for a long time. Days, which is, days, days, yeah. Which is why I recommend that people get the essay book because it's really interesting and they have some great thoughts. And uh, after I'm a little bit distracted with my dog just dug up her bed and she dug out a carrot I gave her like two days ago <laughs> which she has been saving and now she came and gave it to me kind of like here here's my old carrot and I'm like thanks uh, no thank you <laughs> that is the most random thing ever <laughs> also who gives dogs carrots oh she loves carrots no she took it really? now she's, no, she's eating it herself she loves carrots it's good for their teeth to have something to crunch on. Well, I have to say, I had no idea that you that anyone gave dogs carrots. And it's one of her favorite snacks. If I'm holding one, she'll just jump up and steal it and run away. <laughs> I really liked that you've trained her with, like, eating her five a day. Yeah. Fruit and veg. I she mean, also likes broccoli. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know they, you've, you've got to say, that's, that's impressive, because most dogs, I know, only tend to go for the meat aspect um but to, for her to go for the veg i mean that's that's pretty good you got a pretty well trained mm -hmm. carrots uh, broccoli uh she will not not get anywhere close to tofu however 
well, I don't know many people, like human people, who will get close to tofu. Um, I don't think I've ever tried tofu. I've heard about it. It's good. I might have tried it. If you get the marinated kind. But yeah, so this has been the food podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been the Going Off on a Tangent podcast. Welcome. Um, yeah, so I, well, I suppose we'll, we'll, suppose we'll end it here because we haven't really got anything else to say about Dollhouse, have we? I don't think so. I mean, we could keep talking about more characters, but it's just going to get way too long. So uh, we can't really do that. I'll just say I love Mr. Dominic. <laughs> oh, I, I struggled with Mr. Dominic. I liked when Mr. Dominic came back and he turned out to be like, you know, working with them. Yeah. I liked I liked him then. I didn't like him before. Well, I, re- I struggled. Yeah, I really like the actor, so that's probably why I really like him from the start. Uh, so I'll blame it on that. But, uh, yeah, I really like him when he comes back in the end, too. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have anything else to say about Dollhouse other than it was interesting. It's an interesting concept. As long as you can get past the slightly more nefarious themes of the show, and I do agree with you, I think that it is a show that's best binge-watched, especially the later season. Yeah, and I would recommend that you, who've only seen it once, I would definitely say that at some point, watch it again, but just binge-watch it, because I think that you will enjoy it a lot better, because uh, you will probably get sucked up in it a lot more. Well, luckily, um, I did actually go out and buy the DVD box set, so I do actually have seasons one and two on DVD now, so... I have them in my DVD rack, ready to watch at any time. However, at the moment, I'm currently watching Gilmore Girls, (laughs) so that is my current obsession. I may have to come back to Dollhouse at a later date. I might need a break from it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I think think it's time to wrap it up. I think we've said everything we need to say. If people wish to go out and watch Dollhouse, I think they should. Um, and sorry for, if you haven't seen it, for spoiling it for you. Probably <laughs> add a little note at the start of the episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll maybe do like a spoiler alarm or something like that. Um, but it's still, even if we have spoiled it for you, it's definitely still worth a watch. So I would definitely do that. So, yeah, we will, obviously we're going ahead with the 20th anniversary podcast next. And we're really looking forward to that because that's going to be great. Um, but yeah I think that's it I think we should just say goodbye and that's it we'll be done goodbye goodbye (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we'll see you next time bye (laughs) bye (laughs) bye